Hi and welcome to this latest episode from 1914 to 1918war.com. In this episode I'll be giving the usual update of some anniversaries that are coming and I'll be taking a deeper look at the life and times of the Red Baron or Manfred von Richthofen as his mum would have known him. Over the next couple of months I'm expecting I'll probably shift to producing these podcasts every two weeks instead of every week. Uh, just because of other stuff that's going on. Um, as always, if you enjoy it, give us a review, help spread the word. We get regular core of people who listen to this, but it would be nice to break through and get more people interested. Okay, let's get on with the show. Everything you hold for vile is a You are unstoppable, you won't put we begin this week with our tour of some upcoming anniversaries. I'll be looking ahead over the next two weeks because uh, that's the frequency that I'm expecting to produce these on. So beginning in 1914... Uh, November the 11th, the German-Prussian guard attempt to take Ypres, first breaking through the German lines but then being pushed back and suffering heavy losses. And on the 21st of November, uh, three British aircraft attack the German Zeppelin sheds at Friedrichhaven. One of the uh, Zeppelins there is damaged. Jumping ahead to 1915, uh, November the 17th, the British hospital ship the Anglia hits a mine off the coast of Dover and sinks uh, with the loss of 139 crew and patients. Uh, and then two days later, on the 19th of November, Richard Bell Davis is awarded the Victoria Cross for hauling a fellow airman, G.F. Smiley, uh, into his plane uh, and flying off when uh, Smiley's plane was downed by the Turks. Advancing to 1916 now, on November the 15th, the Allied commanders met at the town of Chantilly to determine their plans for 1917. And on the 17th of November, the first winter snow began to fall on the Somme. And then a day later, on the 18th of November, the Battle of the Somme was brought to a close. Now moving ahead to November 1917. On the 16th, uh, Georges Clemenceau, who was 76 year old, takes over as French Prime Minister. On the 19th of November, the Bolsheviks asked for an armistice on all fronts where the Russians are fighting, uh, as they realise that they can't carry on. And on the 20th of November 1917, the British Third Army Corps attack at Combray with 378 tanks, uh, making three-mile gains along a six-mile front before counter-attacks erode this, uh, these gains. And finally, moving into 1918, it's a big week with the end of the war. So um, so on November the 11th at 5.20 in the morning, uh, Foch sends a command to all Allied commanders saying that hostilities will cease on the entire front November the 11th at 11am French time. And then later at, uh, on November the 11th, 10am, British troops led by General Freyberg, who's a... a major hero of the First World War, uh, captured a bridge over the, the, the River Donge at Lassine, uh, racing to complete the mission before the ceasefire began at 11am. 
Later on, November the 11th, uh, two minutes before the ceasefire, a German machine gunner fires a complete belt of ammunition near South African troops. He then stands up, removes his helmet, bows and walks to the rear. And uh, at 10.55am, November the 11th, uh, Private George Price, a Canadian soldier, is shot and killed by a German sniper. He's the last Canadian killed in the war. Um, and then at 2.30pm after the armistice, General von Einem tells his troops in the German army, firing has ceased. Undefeated, you are terminating the war in enemy territory. So thus beginning to uh, plant the seed that it wasn't the army that lost it. And on uh, November the 11th in the evening, 6.30pm, Lloyd George expressed his opinion that the Kaiser should probably be hung. So that's November the 11th. I'll have uh, one more for just after that. Uh, and two more. Um, November the 14th, uh, German com the German commander in East Africa, uh, Leto Vorbeck, hears of the armistice because uh, of communications being pretty bad uh, when a British magistrate approaches under a, a white flag to tell him the news. And then on the 25th of November, uh, that was when Leto Vorbeck actually uh, surrendered. Uh, a whole fortnight after the armistice was agreed in Europe. So that brings us to uh, the fairly momentous anniversaries for uh, the next couple of weeks. I hope you enjoy these. Uh, if you do, don't forget to leave a review. Right, uh, let's get on to this week's main feature. Um, in this uh, article, I'm going to go through the life and times of the Red Baron. I uh, hope you find it interesting. It's one of those areas where He's a very well-known figure, and you know people know the rough outline of, of his life. But uh, sometimes it pays to dig into these things just to learn a bit more. The rise and fall of the Red Baron, Manfred von Richthofen's career. Manfred von Richthofen was born in 1892 in Silesia, a member of the aristocracy. Manfred was given a military upbringing, uh, first in a military school and then joining the cavalry in 1911. When the First World War broke out, Richthofen served with the cavalry on both the Eastern and Western Fronts and was awarded the Iron Cross for bravery when crossing the front lines in his role as a messenger. Then, as the trench lines were established and solidified, the need for highly mobile reconnaissance cavalry lessened and Richthofen, looking for excitement we assume, managed to get himself transferred to the flying service where he saw better prospects for someone with his ambitions. At first, Richthofen served as an observer before progressing to become the pilot of a two-seater aircraft. He survived a crash during his first ever solo flight and went on to become a proficient pilot. Then, towards the end of August 1914, Oswald Bolch, a German ace, invited him to join one of the new fighter squadrons that the Germans were creating to counter Allied air superiority in the West. Von Richthofen was delighted with his new role, saying that my fondest wish was fulfilled, and now the most beautiful time of my life began for me. Named Jagdstaffeln, normally shorted to Jasta, these new formations were to bring together skilled pilots who could hunt Allied aircraft and force them out of the skies. Whilst it's easy to get caught up in the idea of rival aces battling it out over the trenches like medieval knights in a jousting tournament, it's important to remember that the newly developed fighter arms were intended to serve the aims of the reconnaissance wings. 
The overriding objective was to ensure that your side's observer aircraft could overfly and report what they saw on the ground, whilst preventing the enemy's own observer aircraft from doing the same. The Yasta squadrons were equipped with the most modern fighters available at the time, Albatross D-Type and Halberstadt aircraft. As well as their capability as flying machines, the Germans were the first to possess aircraft with the ability to fire their machine guns forward through the arc of the propeller. The interrupt mechanism developed by the Germans meant that the front-mounted machine guns could fire down the pilot's line of sight, making aiming easier. This was a game-changing innovation that solved a problem that had bugged the air forces of all the belligerents. The interrupt mechanism allowed optimal front mounting of both propeller and guns, a configuration that was far superior to any other layout, such as using rear pushing engines, guns fixed at 45 degree angles, and deflector armour to protect the propeller blades from self-inflicted gunfire. Bolk was an inspired leader to his new Yasta, uh, inspiring great loyalty and devotion amongst his men. As a part of his leadership, he distilled his way of combat into eight rules. 1. Always attack in groups of four or six and avoid two aircraft attacking the same opponent and getting in each other's way. 2. Secure the upper hand before attacking. Surprise the enemy by keeping the sun behind you. 3. Always persist with an attack you've begun. 4. Fire only at close range. 5. Never lose sight of your opponent or be deceived by ruses. 6. Always attack from behind. 7. If your opponent dives on you, don't try to turn away. Fly to meet him. 8. Over enemy territory, never forget your line of retreat. This combination of specially selected pilots, direct fighting doctrine and superior technology made the Yasta squadrons a force to be reckoned with, and soon the results began to follow. Richthofen shot down his first victim, a British bomber, on the 17th of September 1916. After the event he was to write, I gave a short series of shots with my machine gun. I had gone so close that I was afraid I might dash into the Englishman. Suddenly I nearly yelled with joy, for the propeller of the enemy machine had stopped turning. Later that night, Bolch held a party to celebrate the success of Richthofen and his fellow pilots, presenting all his novice pilots, all of whom had had successful combats, with beer tankards to celebrate their first victories. Von Richthofen decided to mark his victory by commissioning a silver cup marked with the date of his kill. Over the rest of his flying career, he continued this practice for each victory. He also began collecting souvenirs of his kills, collecting guns and bits of fabric from his opponent's aircraft and sending them back to his home to add to his trophy collection. With his first success under his belt, von Richthofen began to notch up a tally of air combat successes over the coming weeks. However, even for experienced pilots, the war in the air could turn lethal in a matter of seconds. Bolk, as commandant of uh, Yasta II and Germany's top ace at the time, was no exception to the dangers of air combat and even though he had some 40 kills to his name, was killed himself. In the middle of an intense dogfight, Bolch was unlucky enough to collide with Erwin Baum, whose wheels scraped along the top of Bolch's wing. Bolch's aircraft lost control, and as it spiralled towards the ground, lost the wing. 
causing it to crash into the shell-smashed ground below. Bohm survived, but was understandably shaken and filled with remorse over the accident. Contemporary accounts say he was on the verge of shooting himself to atone for the accident and had to be persuaded by his fellow pilots to continue with his flying career. With Bolch gone, his subordinates were keen to replicate their leader's feats and began to rack up their own kills. Richthofen soon had multiple kills to his name, including shooting down Major Lano Hawker, a noted British ace. In January 1917, as his total reached 16 aircraft shot down, Richthofen was given command of Yasta 11. As the commander of his own squadron, Richthofen decided to have his Albatross aircraft painted bright red to help German ground troops to recognise a friendly aircraft when he was forced to fly low over their positions. Soon he acquired the nickname Der Rotkampfleiger, the Red Battlefire or the Red Fighter Pilot. The name Red Baron alludes to his family's rank as Freiherr or Freelord, and this was in lesser use actually during the war. Other nicknames used to describe Richthofen and his red aircraft were Le Diable Rouge, the, the Red Devil, Le Petit Rouge, Little Red, and the Red Knight. Under his leadership, Yasta 11 was to become one of the most effective squadrons on the Western Front. April 1917 was to become known as Bloody April, as the Royal Flying Corps lost 245 aircraft during the course of the month, well over double the German losses from the same period. On the 29th of April, von Richthofen's squadron had its most successful day of the year. Like Mick Manock, a British ace who was to write his own rules for air combat, Richthofen, following Bolk's rules, knew that the best way to succeed in air combat was to never give the enemy a chance. Instead of engaging in air combat on even terms, it was safer and more effective to dive from altitude and hit unsuspecting enemy aircraft before they knew he was there, and this was exactly what he did on that day. Taking off from Dwight Airfield in bright weather before breakfast and flying the latest D3s, von Richthofen was at the top of his game with 48 victories to his name. Surrounded by skilled pilots, his Yasta was incredibly good at what they did, and deadly to those that they did it to. Spotting five British aircraft below them, Richthofen recounted later, We attacked them by a rush, as if we were cavalry. This direct approach meant that the air combat was often over before the victim knew it had started, and in this encounter, three of the five British aircraft were downed, with the death of two pilots. Then, having had their breakfast, the flying circus took off again and throughout the rest of the day shot down another eight aircraft. With their deadly combination of skilled pilots, well-honed tactics and superior aircraft, the German Air Force was exacting a terrible price on the Allies, whose doctrine required them to patrol aggressively in harm's way. In fact, it was so dangerous that around this time a new RFC pilot's life expectancy flying over the Western Front was just 17 days from deployment to a squadron, and this would not improve until better aircraft, notably the Sopwith Camel, began to be built and deployed in greater numbers. Richthofen's fame meant that he was fated by the Kaiser, being invited to sumptuous banquets at the Kaiser's palace in Potsdam to bask in the admiration of the assembled nobility. In recognition of his achievements, Kaiser Wilhelm ordered that Richthofen's squadron be renamed as Jagdstaffel Richthofen, and rumours spread that the British had formed a special squadron purely to try and kill him.
In June 1917, as his fame spread, Richthofen was appointed to command a larger unit that combined four fighter squadrons. This formation was to become known as the Flying Circus and featured many of Germany's top aces amongst its number. Notable German airmen such as Werner Voss, who was to die in 1917, and Ernst Udet, who was to be in charge of aircraft production in World War II before committing suicide in 1941, both served under Richthofen, as did Lothar von Richthofen, Manfred's younger brother. As his tally of downed aircraft grew, so did his fame. A celebrity of his time, he became a popular subject for German propaganda. He wrote an autobiography and received voluminous fan mail. But famous as he was, he wasn't invincible. On the 6th of July 1917, a bullet from a British aircraft struck him in the head while he was flying. The bullet grazed his skull, carving out a four-inch long track which exposed the bone of his skull. The blow paralysed his arms and legs, and temporarily blinded and unable to see, his aircraft plummeted from 12,000 feet to about 2,000 feet. Here his senses returned just enough, and miraculously he was able to land his aircraft safely, despite suffering from a fractured skull. On the face of it, Richthofen didn't let this setback slow him down. Writing to his mother, he remarked that it is certainly a good thing if one has a thick head in life. But he was slow to recover from this injury. Despite suffering from headaches and bouts of depression, and with his skull still exposed where his wound had not healed properly, he was back in his aircraft by mid-August 1917 when he returned to combat duties. Increasingly ill and irritable and suffering from headaches, he was no longer pleased to see the crowds that gathered outside his home when he returned from the front, and he spent much of his home leave in bed resting. Alternatively, he retreated to a friend's estate in East Prussia, where he could go hunting in solitary peace away from his celebrity. Showing signs of combat stress and weighed down by his injury, he was, to use the German word, abgeflogen, or flown out. But unlike lesser pilots who would be sent on leave or moved into instructor's jobs to recover, the mighty von Richthofen only wanted to be with his squadron. Despite his injury and demands to serve the German propaganda needs with factory tours where he was wheeled out to inspire munition workers to greater efforts and to stave off the risk of strikes, Richthofen soldiered on. Armed with the new Fokker DR-1 triplane, which despite teething problems with collapsing wings that killed many pilots, was a match for the Sopwith Camel and with his head wound finally healing, he began to amass multiple victories reaching an impressive 80 victories to his name by the 20th of April, 1918. On the 21st of April, Richthofen led his men into the continuing battle for control of the air over the Somme. Seeing that Yasta V was already engaged with a number of Sopwith camels, von Richthofen and his flight joined the melee, which now involved as many as 30 aircraft. Latching onto a Sopwith camel piloted by a Canadian called Lieutenant Wilfred May, who was new to air combat, von Richthofen gave chase, trying to shoot down his victim, who desperately tried to escape. May was to write later that his inexperience may have saved him by making his flying so unpredictable that his foe couldn't predict what he was going to do next. Dropping from 12,000 feet to ground level, May flew desperately for home, with Richthofen on his tail. Another Canadian, Captain Roy Brown, spotted the pursuit and swung down to help his comrade, firing his guns as he did, 
but it seems he missed. Richthofen and May were now at ground level, flying low over the Somme trench lines, and as Richthofen finally cornered May and the combat looked like it was about to end with another victory for the German flyer, he came under fire from below, as soldiers from the Australian 5th Division opened fire with their machine guns. Running the gauntlet of bullets from the ground, Richthofen turned for home but was struck and crashed his aircraft into a ploughed field. Von Richthofen's dead body was pulled from his aircraft, and both body and aircraft were rapidly stripped of souvenirs by the Australians. His body was sent to nearby Poulainville Aerodrome, where his body was examined. The evidence of this cursory post-mortem suggested that Richthofen was killed by ground fire. He was aged just 25 years old, and had been killed just a few days short of his 26th birthday. Richthofen was buried on the 22nd of April 1918 with full military honours in Bertangle Cemetery. A wreath was laid with the inscription, To our gallant and worthy foe. That brings us to the end of our tour of Baron von Richthofen's life. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed that. It was an interesting one to write, as uh, so many of these subjects are, and certainly gave me a bit more insight into... uh, life and times of uh, this most famous flyer of the First World War. As I said at the beginning, it's likely to be two weeks to the next episode, so uh, try and contain your excitement. And in the meantime, thank you very much for listening and uh, look forward to you joining us next time. Bye-bye.